Friends, let me ask you a question this morning as we begin. What would you do if you found yourself capsized in the middle of a large lake or, or maybe out in the ocean, far from land, and you were treading water and you were desperately waiting for rescue? What, what would be your first instinct? I think probably many of us would say our, our first instinct would be to find some sort of life preserver right? Am I right? Something, something we can hang on to, something that can help us float and keep our heads above water. It's very interesting. In 1895, there was a Frenchman named Francois Barathon who, who had that same thought. If we were drowning, if we were out in the ocean and, and our boat sunk or capsized and we needed rescue, you know, what could I do? What could I invent to help keep people afloat and, and save their lives. And so Francois Barathon invented a contraption called the pedal-driven life preserver. This is a real invention, 1895, the pedal-driven life preserver. And, and the way it worked is, is when your boat capsized or your boat sunk and you're treading water, well, it, it's real simple. All you got to do is you, you, you get this bag that contains all the parts for your pedal-driven life preserver. And you unzip the bag, and you inflate the bag, and then you sit on the bag. And while you're sitting on this floating bag, you take all of the other pieces, the chain and the pedals, and you assemble all of these things. And pretty soon, you've got yourself this great little self-propelled floating device that will not only keep you above water, but will help pedal you to shore. I mean, is that incredible or what? Now, friends, as you can imagine, there's a reason why the pedal-driven life preserver never caught on. I mean, by the time you get all of this stuff put together, you've already long drowned. But it's very interesting, throughout history, human beings have sought out life preservers, ways to keep themselves afloat, ways to save their lives in, in trials and difficult circumstances. Today, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture where we are going to discover a man who truly and, and desperately needed a life preserver. And we're going to find a, a group of people that believe they possessed the life preserver this man needed. But we're also going to see the Apostle John, he's going to make clear for us that there is only one who can truly save us, and that is Jesus Christ. Today, it's a great story, a story of a, a man who Jesus healed at a pool in, in Jerusalem, Israel. It's found in John chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. I'm going to read our passage for us this morning. You are welcome to follow along in your own Bibles, or you can see the text on the screens behind me. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 5, the Apostle John says this, After this, there was a feast of the Jews. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, 
I, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going down, another steps down before me. Let me pause here for a moment and just add a quick comment of explanation. This invalid says, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. If you notice in your Bible, some of your translations might skip a verse and go from verse 3 directly to verse 5, and verse 4 is missing. Not every translation, but many of our modern-day translations will skip verse 4. If you look at the bottom of your page, I would be willing to bet there's a footnote there that explains to you that verse 4 is not actually a reference that's found in the earliest known Greek manuscripts of the New Testament that we have. In other words, verse 4 in some translations is a verse that was added later by textual commentators to help us understand what was going on. But, but the earliest manuscripts don't contain verse 4, which is why the translation I'm using this morning, the English Standard Version, skips over verse 4. But verse 4, if you read in the footnote, or if your version includes verse 4, what you'll discover is there was a legend at this time, 2,000 years ago, that here at this pool in Jerusalem, the pool of Bethesda, that occasionally an angel would come and would stir the waters of the pool And if you were one of these sick people waiting along the sides of the pool, if you were one of the first to get in the pool when the water was stirred by the angel, there was some curative property to that. And and, and people believed that you could be healed. And, And so here we find Jesus walking through this area with a multitude, John says, of of invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed. They're all there waiting for the water to be stirred. Jesus says to this man, do you want to be healed? The man answers, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred, and while I'm going down, another steps down before me. Verse 8 picks up then. John says, Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once, the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The Sabbath is the seventh day in in the Jewish calendar, Saturday. And and it's intended to be a day of rest according to Old Testament law. So the Jews said to this man carrying his mat, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, and there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. What an incredible story. And a story that has some incredibly powerful truths for us to understand and and to apply to our lives today. I want to make three observations for us this morning, observations with, with applications that we can take from this true story of this miraculous healing of this invalid. 
We, we don't know the nature of this man's illness. We don't know what caused him to be in this condition where he was obviously disabled, unable to move, unable to enter the pool. But he was here. He was here at this pool, the pool of Bethesda, a real, real place, by the way. I've been to Israel on two different occasions, and if you ever go to Israel, to Jerusalem, you can actually see the pool of Bethesda. Archaeologists have uncovered it. We know its location. And here, along the edge of the pool of Bethesda, a multitude of invalids would lay, waiting for the waters of this pool to be stirred. Maybe an underground spring that would occasionally bubble up. And these desperate people were there, waiting for their healing. Verse 5 in our passage tells us one of these men who was there amongst this crowd that Jesus came into that day had been an invalid for 38 years. 38 years he had been in this difficult condition. Just imagine that, friends. Laying next to this pool amidst, amidst a throng of people, a crowd of others with desperate conditions and disabilities waiting for a chance to enter the waters to be healed. And this man had sat there in this dire condition for 38 years. Again, we don't know the, the nature of his illness, but it's clear from the text that this man couldn't move without help from others. He was desperate. He, he, he was in dire need. In fact, this leads me to our first observation this morning. We, we discover a needy man who was seen by Jesus. A needy man who was seen by Jesus. Verse 6 tells us that Jesus saw him. Jesus saw him. Friends, are these not three of the most beautiful words in all Scripture? Jesus saw him. Jesus saw him. Three words that epitomize the whole message of the gospel, the good news. Jesus saw him. See, friends, Jesus sees needy people. Jesus cares about needy people. Jesus stops for needy people. Here we see Jesus come into the crowd. He sees this invalid man in this desperate condition for 38 years. He sees him with all of his needs and all of his desperate circumstances, Jesus sees him and stops in his love and compassion. You know, it's interesting, over the past few weeks, we've seen Jesus' interactions with a number of needy people, haven't we? In John chapters 3 through 5 so far, we've seen Jesus' interactions with a man who had a need but didn't know it, Nicodemus. Uh, a man who thought spiritually, religiously, he had it all together. He, he thought he had all the answers. He thought he was doing everything right in his life to have a right relationship with God. And yet he had a very great need, as we saw a few weeks ago. He had a need for a personal relationship with God. He had a need for his heart to be transformed, to be born again, born from above, a need that only Jesus could provide. Here was a man with a need, and he didn't even know it. And then we saw the interactions between Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. And in this situation with the Samaritan woman, we find a woman who had a need, but wouldn't admit it. 
Remember, the Samaritan woman didn't want to talk about her needs with Jesus. She, she didn't want to acknowledge the reality that she had been going to different wells throughout her life looking for that water that would quench her thirst. And, and in her case, her most common well was the well of relationship. And she had been married five times and was now living with a sixth man. And, and she had been looking to men to quench that thirst, to fulfill that need. But she didn't want to talk about it with Jesus, remember? She tried to change the subject. She had a need, but wouldn't admit it. And then we saw Jesus' interactions with this royal official, a man who, who worked for the king, King Herod in Galilee, and, and he was desperate in his need because he had a son at home who had a fever and was dying, and, and he came to Jesus desperate for help. He was a man with a need and was desperate in it. And then if you recall... Today in our passage, we discover this man who had a need, but he was resigned to it. For 38 years, he had laid next to this pool. Friends, let me ask you a question this morning. Which of these needy individuals do you identify with today? You know, I think if we're honest about it this morning, each one of us here would identify with at least one of these individuals that Jesus saw and cared for and stopped for. Jesus sees needy people. Maybe you're like Nicodemus this morning. Maybe you're somebody who thinks you have your life all together. Maybe you think you've got it all right and, and you have all the answers and you are walking in a right relationship with God, but maybe like Nicodemus, your hope and your beliefs are in all the wrong areas. Maybe you're putting your trust like Nicodemus in religious works and ritual and, and good deeds and, and all of these human efforts that we invest ourselves in trying to earn favor with God and we think that by doing all the right things that, that that's what will please God. But maybe like Nicodemus, you have a great need today and you don't even know it. A need for God to do a work of transformation in your heart. A need for God to humble you and, and take you off the throne of your life and put Jesus over the throne of your life. Recognizing that it's only in a personal relationship with Him that we can truly be right with the Lord. Or maybe you're here this morning and, and you're like the Samaritan woman. Maybe you're here this morning and you have a need, but you're not willing to admit it. Maybe you have been going to different wells, looking for fulfillment, looking for meaning, looking for purpose, looking for joy, and, and you've been dipping your bucket in all of these wells, different wells the world offers, trying to find satisfaction, and yet you haven't found it, but you're not willing to admit it. Maybe you're like the young man I counseled a while back, who had separated from his wife. He, 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 had, he had walked away from his marriage, and he had been involved in, in drugs and partying. And, and as I counseled him, it was very obvious he wanted nothing to do with his marriage, and yet he didn't see his own need. He didn't see his own sin. He didn't see his own rebellion, recognizing the reality that he was living outside of God's will for his life through his current actions. Lots of us go through life like that Samaritan woman, like that young man with, with desperate needs, but we just don't want to admit it. 
Maybe like the royal official, you're here today and you're just desperate. You have a need and you're just desperate. Maybe you're here this morning or maybe you tuned in this morning because you don't know where else to turn. You have a great need. And you're just hoping maybe here at church, maybe this Jesus thing will make the difference. Or maybe like the invalid we saw in our passage this morning, you're just resigned to your needs. There's no way they're ever going to get better. Friends, Jesus knows our needs. He cares about our needs. And He is willing to meet us wherever we are with a grace and love that's fully capable of meeting all our needs. You believe that? We, we see the reality of this in our next observation this morning, observation number two. We discover an affliction overcome by Jesus. An affliction overcome by Jesus. In verse 6, we read, When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Now, that's kind of a strange question, isn't it? Hey, here's a man laying there sick and, and disabled for 38 years, and, and Jesus sees him there in his need, and then he asks him this question, do you want to be healed? I mean, that's, that's almost like a head-scratcher. You would think, absolutely, I want to be healed. Of course I want to be healed. I mean, th- what a stupid question. But friends, I think if we're honest about it, I think many of us would recognize that there are a lot of people in our world who simply resign themselves to their afflictions. Maybe you've been in that state before. Maybe you're in that state today. You've just resigned yourself to the reality that that this is the way it is, this is the way my life is going, this is the way it's always going to be, and there's no hope, there's no way to get better. And sadly, many just resign themselves to their desperate plight. They buy into the lies of Satan, our spiritual adversary, who who the Bible tells us in John 10.10, Jesus says that Satan, the thief, comes to steal and to kill and destroy. He, he, He comes to steal our joy. He, he, he comes to kill our our hope, believing that we could ever experience anything better. And then ultimately, he seeks to destroy us physically and and spiritually. Jesus says in John 8, 44, that, that Satan is a liar and the father of lies. That, that there's no truth in him, that, that he just spews out lie after lie after lie, trying to steal and kill and destroy us. And here we discover this invalid man who had very likely bought into the lies of the enemy, that there was no hope. We see in verse 7 that this was a man who had given up hope. Jesus says to him, do you want to be healed? And the man's response to Jesus is, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, uh, another steps down before me. This is a man who had resigned himself to his desperate condition. He had lost hope. 
He had given up on the idea that there was ever any possibility for him to experience anything better in his life. Friends, let me ask you this morning, have you ever known somebody like this? Somebody who had lost hope. Somebody who had given up on the possibility that they could ever be well or experience something better or or be healed. Maybe this is where you're at today. Maybe you're here this morning or watching online and, and, and you're dealing with a, a desperate condition. Maybe, maybe you're battling an addiction of some sort or, or maybe you're in a relationship that's falling apart or, or maybe you're struggling with a, an illness that seems like there's no cure for and you're giving up hope. And you've bought into the lies of the enemy that says God doesn't care for you. God could never heal you. God could never help you. God could never make you well. And you've given up hope. Friends, I want to tell you this morning, Jesus has the power to heal the afflictions that we see as hopeless. No matter what they might be. Jesus has the power to heal all of our afflictions. One of the great heroes of the faith in the modern era one of my personal heroes of the faith is a woman named Johnny Erickson Tata. Some of you might know Johnny's story. 53 years ago, when she was 17 years old, she was an active, athletic, vibrant teenager. One day she was swimming with her family along the banks of the Chesapeake River out east. She dove into that river, unfortunately didn't realize how shallow it was, and she broke her back and instantly was paralyzed. For the last 53 years, she's lived her life as a quadriplegic, unable to move her arms, her legs. As a 17-year-old girl, she fell into a deep despair and depression. She thought that God had it out for her, that God had abandoned her, that God no longer cared about her. She even contemplated killing herself except she was so desperate she couldn't even move to take her own life. But as Johnny struggled in her despair, she soon began to recognize that she wasn't there alone in that wheelchair. She soon began to recognize that each and every day there was somebody there with her, that the Lord was there with her, that the Lord was there offering her His amazing grace each and every day speaking words of hope into her life, speaking promises of truth into her life, speaking words of of optimism for a future in view of God's perfect will and plan for her life. And pretty soon, Johnny began to embrace that truth, that God, even though he had sovereignly allowed this tragic accident to take place in her life, was going to use these circumstances for his ultimate glory. Friends, over the last 50 plus years, God has used Johnny in powerful ways. She's written over 40 books, some of the most powerful spiritual truths you'll ever read. I'd encourage you to pick up some of her work sometime. If you're in a place of need and desperation, to, to hear the testimony of this woman that God has touched and used in such a powerful way in the midst of her tragic circumstances. She started a terrific organization called Johnny and Friends, which works to raise awareness 
about the disability community around the world that, that seeks to help individuals in their difficult circumstances recognize that there is a God who loves them, a God who offers hope and healing. And you know something, friends? Johnny has yet to receive a physical healing from Jesus. But I'll tell you something. Johnny would tell you something. Her spirit dances every day because she's come to discover the amazing power of Jesus. The power of Jesus that can heal all our needs. We see that power ongoing here in our passage this morning in verses 8 through 9. Jesus, after asking this man if he wants to be well, after the man in his hopelessness says, Jesus, there's no one to help me into the water, Jesus next says to this man, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Here we see the absolute power and authority of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the the one who is the Word, the eternal Word of God, become flesh, the God-man, the one who spoke all of creation into existence, as we read in our very first lesson in John, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, in the beginning was the Word, Jesus, and the Word, Jesus, was with Jesus. God and the Word, Jesus was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things, the entire universe was made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. And here is the God-man, the Word, who spoke the universe into existence and in a single command, get up, take up your mat and walk, the Word transforms this individual's life forever. And what an amazing contrast we see here, friends. Here's this invalid who had waited 38 years for an opportunity to bathe in the stirred up waters of the pool, and now suddenly and instantaneously he is healed by a simple command from Jesus. Friends, understand who we're talking about here. Jesus, the Word, the Creator of the universe. Jesus, who is sovereign over all sickness. He is indomitable against all infirmities. He is absolute versus all afflictions. He is triumphant over all trials. And He is majestic above all miseries. He is the Word, the Creator, God, all-powerful who sees needy people, who cares about needy people. Friends, are you looking for hope today? I want to encourage you to look to Jesus. He is the Word, the Creator, the one who heals with a single command. John says in our passage this morning, this is the third of Jesus' signs. The third of Jesus' signs. We've heard John use that word throughout our series already. Remember, John uses the word sign in reference to the miracles of Jesus. He calls them signs. Why? Because a sign for John, these miraculous works of Jesus were more than just displays of power. These were miracles with a message. Remember, that's what a sign is, a miracle with a message. And and, and so what is the message of the miracle that we see here this morning? 
the, the message behind the miracle of this sign, Jesus healing this invalid man. Well, this leads us to observation number three this morning. We see a controversy stirred by Jesus. A controversy stirred by Jesus. The invalids there at the pool that day were waiting for an angel to come and stir the waters. But the one who was truly stirring the waters in Jerusalem that day was Jesus. And as we discover here in our passage, the the message of this miracle, we we could rightly call it the sign on the Sabbath. Why did Jesus heal this man? The healing was was to point to some greater reality, and, and here we discover the sign on the Sabbath. In verses 10 through 14, let, let me read for us again. This, this gets to the heart of, of what this sign was really all about. So the man is healed. And then in verse 10, we read the Jews. And the word the Jews there is a reference that, that John's going to use 70 times from this point forward in his gospel. The term Jews does not refer to the, the ethnic people of Israel. The, the term Jews, when John uses it, is a reference to the Jewish religious authorities. Okay? So he's talking about a specific people within the Jewish culture, the religious authorities, the, the, the leaders of the Sanhedrin, the, the leaders who dictated the religious rules and plans to the people of Israel. So, so John says, the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. Now that last phrase there, friends, really gets to the root of the controversy between Jesus and the Jewish religious authorities. And as we're going to see from this point forward, this is a controversy that's going to dominate the entire remainder of John's gospel. And the controversy is the question of the Old Testament law and its proper role in the relationship between God and man. How are we supposed to relate and, and adhere to this Old Testament law that God had given the people of Israel back in the days of Moses? This is the question. And to these Jewish religious authorities, they see this man who is now standing, carrying his mat, and, and, and what would have, in your mind, have, should have been a great thing, right? I mean, this guy's been healed. This miracle's taken place. I mean, this guy who's been sitting here for 38 years is now standing, walking, except... To the Jewish religious leaders, you're carrying your mat. You're bearing a burden. That's work. We don't work on the Sabbath. This man was breaking the Old Testament law. And so instead of praising God for a miracle, the Jewish religious authorities turn in condemnation upon the man. Now, again, you might be thinking to yourself, I've got to be missing something here. I mean, why, why on earth would they respond this way to a man miraculously healed, now carrying the mat he had laid on for 38 years? And, and this is where we need to understand some background on the Sabbath and the Jewish religious authorities thinking on this matter. See, the Sabbath was part of God's law that he instituted for the people of Israel back in the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, the law that God gave the people of Israel was meant to distinguish them from the cultures around them and and to lead them into a right relationship with God through through adherence to the the practices that he had given them, which would lead to their well-being and and, and welfare and preservation and, and to honor him and his holiness. And one of the laws God gave the the people of Israel in the Ten Commandments was 
the law to keep the Sabbath, to, to honor the seventh day, to, to keep the day holy as a day of rest. And in the Old Testament, in the Ten Commandments, in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, we read about the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gate. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and then rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." So God gave the people of Israel this law to honor the Sabbath day, the seventh day, keep it holy, use it as a day of rest, remember that it's a day to worship the Lord, your creator, and and, and so God gave them this day where where they were to refrain from work. However, as we're going to see, the Jewish religious authorities had ended up abusing the spirit of this law. But, But there was almost a a, a good intention behind what they had attempted to do. You see, in Jeremiah, we discover that the people of Israel had broken the laws of God. They had dishonored the laws of God. And, And in dishonoring the laws of God, one of those laws that they had dishonored was God's regulation to keep the Sabbath day holy. And as a result of this, God, through the prophet of Jeremiah, says to the nation of Israel in Jeremiah 17, if you do not listen to me, to keep the Sabbath day holy and not bear a burden and enter by the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle a fire in its gates and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem and shall not be quenched. And what we discover as we read the Old Testament, the history of the people of Israel, is that time and time again they did not honor God's law. Time and time again they rebelled against God's law, including God's laws of keeping the Sabbath day holy. And so what happened then is God did just this. He came against the people of Israel. He came against the nation of Jerusalem, or the city of Jerusalem. In 586 BC, the the Babylonian Empire came and they conquered Jerusalem. And they destroyed Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple. They took the people of Judah, the people of Israel, into captivity for 70 years. They were enslaved in Babylon. And then, when they were ultimately restored and they returned to Israel, the Jewish religious leaders, again, properly motivated, said, look it, this is what happened to us because we didn't keep the law faithfully. We, we didn't honor the Sabbath. And, and God sent us into exile. And so, the, the Jewish religious leaders, they then developed this goal where they were going to make sure they kept the law faithfully. And they would make sure that others kept the law faithfully. And so the Jewish religious leaders at the time of Jesus, what they had ended up doing was they had built a barricade around God's Sabbath law to ensure that no one would ever break it again. And so to do this, they added a whole series of man-made regulations to the Sabbath to make sure that no one would ever break the law of God. So so here's the law, keep the Sabbath, but the Jewish religious authorities, after coming back from exile, added a whole bunch of layers to make sure that no one would even get close to breaking that law ever again. See, their, their hearts and their motivations were in the right place, but they were completely off track in terms of the spirit of what God wanted for them. 
And they thereby ended up coming up with a whole bunch of crazy laws related to the Sabbath. For example, the, the, the Sabbath says, do not work, keep the day holy. And, and so one of the things that the Jews wanted to make sure is that people didn't travel on the Sabbath. And, and so they created a law that you could only travel a thousand yards from your home on the Sabbath. And so if you walked further than a thousand yards, you were breaking the Sabbath because you were technically traveling. But they, they, they would add all these loopholes to the laws. And we're going to see this throughout our series. Jesus points all of these hypocrisies out. For example, if you tied a string to your house and you walked a thousand yards with that string, you were technically still tethered to your house. And so from that point, you could walk a thousand yards further. I mean, friends, technically, you could walk all the way across Israel if you wanted to by practicing that. The, the Sabbath law says, do not work, do not bear a burden, do not carry a load. And so the Jewish religious leaders asked the question, well, what does that mean, to bear a burden? Does that apply to even something as simple as picking up a, picking up a handkerchief? Well, you don't pick up a handkerchief on the Sabbath because that's bearing a load, bearing a burden. However, if you tie the handkerchief to your body somewhere, that's not bearing a burden. And so you can take the handkerchief with you as long as it's tied to you. You just can't carry it. You're not allowed to, to spit on the Sabbath. Or actually, you just got to be careful where you spit because if you're outside your house and you spit and that spit hits the dirt and creates a little bit of a furrow in the dirt, that's plowing. And so you got to be careful where you spit. If you spit on a rock, that's not plowing and therefore that's not work. And you see how this works. The Jewish religious leaders, with their legalistic rule-keeping, they had missed the whole point of the Sabbath. In Mark 2, 27, Jesus tells us what the point of the Sabbath was. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. See, friends, the Sabbath was intended by God to be a day of rest, a day of worship, but the religious authorities of Israel had turned a day God intended for blessing into a day inundated with burdens. And what's even worse, in the religious authorities' minds, it was the dutiful keeping of these burdens, all of their lists and regulations that they believed actually led to favor with God. Friends, this was religion on steroids. Again, what is religion? Religion is about what we do through our human efforts to make ourselves right with God. It's about keeping the right rules and following the right practices and, and being the right kind of a person. And if we do all the right kind of things, then we're going to please God. That's religion. And, and, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Jewish religious leaders, they had basically hopped up religion on steroids with all of their laws. See, see, their thinking was, look, at if we honor God by keeping his laws, if that's what honors God, then, then we're going to make even more laws. And we're going to make laws about the laws. And then we're really going to impress God. See, friends, they were completely off track in the spirit of what God was looking for. And here's the, here's the thing. The more you place your hope in religion... And we're going to see this throughout this, this Gospel of John. The more you place your hope in religion, the more legalistic you end up becoming. The more judgmental you end up becoming. 
Because if honoring God is all about doing the right things, well, of course, even if God heals a man, if he's carrying a mat, you don't celebrate that. I mean, that guy's breaking the law. And we're going to see this ongoing battle between Jesus and these religious authorities throughout the gospel. See, the reason why Jesus was such a threat to the religious authorities of his day and why he's such a threat to all who place their hope in religion today is because Jesus isn't about religion. Jesus isn't about religion. Jesus came to offer us a gift, a freely given gift of new life and a personal relationship with God. And this is why John next reports that that Jesus wasn't yet finished with this miraculously healed man. We, we see in, verses four, in verse 14, Jesus then, in verse 14, after this conversation between the leaders and this invalid who had been healed, in verse 14, we read, after this, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Friends, here again, we see the Lord's missionary heart that we've talked so much about already in our series. Jesus tells us in the Gospel of Luke, In chapter 19, verse 10, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And here in verse 14, Jesus seeks out the man he had recently healed, a man who was lost but didn't even know it. Jesus says to him in verse 14, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Now this is a curious statement, right? I mean, what's he talking about? Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen. Well, friends, the, in this statement, we discover that the physical healing Jesus provided was really just a prelude to a more significant healing that Jesus desired for this man. See, for Jesus, the, the physical healing, that wasn't the end game. The end game for Jesus was a spiritual healing that was even more substantial, that was even more necessary to this man. And what Jesus is referring to when he says, see, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you, the sin that he's talking about here is the greatest sin of all. What is the greatest sin of all? The greatest sin of all, friends, is missing the means of the miracle. The miracle was his healing, but the means that he had missed was Jesus. He had missed the fact that it was Jesus who had healed him. The the miracle was this new life he had been given, and the means was Jesus, and now Jesus is inviting him to recognize who it was that had truly healed him. The Word who had become flesh. And the warning that Jesus adds here is a caution to the man that if you miss out on him, if you miss out on Jesus... If you fail to recognize Jesus as the one who is the giver of life, this is the most tragic consequence of all. To miss Jesus is to experience a life that's disconnected from fellowship with God and consequences and implications not only for this life now, but for all of eternity. That's what Jesus is talking about here. See, see the, the physical healing that we see in our passage this morning is incredible. We're, and, and friends, don't, make, don't mistake me here. It is right for us to pray and ask God for physical miracles. 
But the sign, the meaning of this miracle, the most important thing that is taking place here in this story is the spiritual healing that Jesus offers this man. The spiritual reality that Jesus is the means to the miracle. The miracle of new life. Something he offers to each and every one of us. As we saw earlier in our series, John 3, 16 through 18, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That life that John talks about is is life to the full here and now, but life everlasting for all eternity. And so friends, here's what we need to recognize this morning. If you're watching online with us this morning, this is what we need to recognize this morning. Jesus asks each and every one of us the same question he asked the invalid. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? And if so, you need to trust in Jesus. You need to look to Jesus. The only one who has the power to heal all of our needs, our deepest need, the need for reconciliation with our Creator and a right relationship with God. Do you want to be healed? If so, trust in Jesus. Let me close in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this passage. Thank you for the powerful truths that we see here in our passage. And Lord, I pray that this word this morning would give all of us a greater vision of who you are as the one who sees us in our needs, as the one who is powerful enough to overcome our needs, as the one who points us to the way that we can be ultimately healed of our greatest need, a need for a right relationship with you, our Creator. God, may we turn to you today. May we look to Jesus in all of our needs, and may we discover in you, God, the one who can truly heal, who offers us amazing grace, who leads to life and life to the full. Jesus, we thank you for all that you are and all that you've done for us and all that you offer to us each and every day in your amazing grace and your great faithfulness. We worship your name, Jesus. Amen. Friends, I'm going to invite you to stand this morning as we conclude our service. Our benediction today comes from Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Amen. Have a blessed week and a happy Thanksgiving. Hi everybody, Pastor Jason here, and I want to thank you for joining us for our online worship service this morning. I pray it's been a blessing to you. I want to encourage you now to visit our church website, www.lakesfree.org. There you can find more information about our church, you can find updates on the latest happenings here at Lakes Free, and you can find an abundance of resources for further teaching, equipping, and encouragement. So please check that out. We also have a prayer link there on our homepage where you can submit prayer requests, and we would love to pray for you. 
And if you'd like to continue your worship by giving to the work of the Lord here at Lakes Free Church, we have a very clear and simple giving link there on our homepage, and we would appreciate your support. I want to thank you again for being with us this morning. I pray that you have a blessed week, and we will look forward to seeing you soon.